Now you're going to have other vaccines, the other things. How is that going to shake out in terms of who has the rights to them, not just for COVID, but going forward for other things? That's Kevin Noonan, an intellectual property lawyer. Later, we'll hear more from him on what might be the most significant patent fight of the pandemic era. I'm Teresa Carey, and this is The Top Line from Fierce Biotech, Fierce MedTech, and Fierce Pharma. Today's Friday, February 17th. Stick with us. We've got all the biopharma and medtech industry news you need. Coming up next, you'll hear from Fraser Kansteiner, a staff writer here at Fierce Pharma. Here he is with this week's headlines. It's a brouhaha that won't go away. Did Albert Borla negotiate a massive vaccine contract by way of text message? It might be tempting for Pfizer to respond with a text such as LOL or MYOB, but now the matter is getting serious. As Kevin Dunleavy reports, the New York Times has filed a lawsuit against the European Commission over its failure to make these texts public. The messages were between Borla, who is the CEO of Pfizer, and the European Commission president, Ursula von der Leyen, who has only herself to blame. Here's why. Nearly two years ago, von der Leyen opened a can of worms when she told the Times that her text with Borla helped make the contract happen. The deal was for a whopping 1.8 million shots. Since then, the commission has not complied with multiple requests to turn over the texts. Last June, von der Leyen said she no longer had the messages in her possession. In addition, over the last six months, Borla has declined to testify. But now, if the Times gets its way, the texting partners may be forced to talk about their secret messages. One of the biggest medtech deals of the year is about to go down. That's the merger between Nuvasiv and Globus Medical. The $3.1 billion merger will combine both companies' orthopedic surgery devices under one roof. But investors seem spooked by the deal. As Andrea Park reports, Globus is paying more than $57 for each share of Nuvasiv's stock, even though Nuvasiv's shares haven't risen above $50 since last August. The deal price represents a premium of more than 20% over Nuvasiv's average share price for the past month. After Globus announced the merger last week, their own stock price plummeted. It dropped 18% within the first day and has continued to drift downwards ever since. Despite the warning signs, Globus and Nuvasiv are full steam ahead on the merger. It's expected to close by mid-2023. Sanofi and Amgen are feuding over cholesterol drug patents, and the fight has split the biopharma industry. The camp is split with some drug makers filing briefs with the U.S. Supreme Court in support of Sanofi and others showing support for Amgen. On Team Sanofi is Pfizer, Eli Lilly, AstraZeneca, and Johnson & Johnson, while on Team Amgen, we have AbbVie and Bristol-Myers Squibb. Amgen first sued Sanofi and its partner Regeneron in 2014. Amgen's argument? That Sanofi's cholesterol drug, Proluent, tread on patents for its own cholesterol treatment, Repatha. The following year, both drugs went on to win U.S. approvals just weeks apart. Both drugs help lower bad LDL cholesterol by blocking certain proteins. In 2019, a judge ruled that certain Amgen patent claims on Repatha were invalid, handing the win to Sanofi and Regeneron. 
But in November, Amgen took it to the U.S. Supreme Court for the final say. The argument largely comes down to enablement, a requirement that states patents are only valid if they contain enough information for a person of ordinary skill in a relevant trade to make the invention without undue experimentation. Amgen emailed me a statement that said that without those protections, the patent system encourages copyists, not the next big breakthrough. GSK is changing things up. As Max Baer reports, GSK is ditching their antibody and vaccine COVID collaboration with Veer Biotechnology. GSK's move marks a concession of sorts in the COVID-19 vaccine market, at least for now. But the two companies will continue to take on treatments for the virus. GSK and Veer Biotechnology have been successful at least once, developing the COVID treatment Citrovimab. But when the Omicron variant spread, Citrovimab was no longer recommended in the U.S. It's still authorized elsewhere and brought in $2.8 billion in revenue in 2022. Moving forward, the two companies will continue to develop citrovimab and another phase one stage antibody against COVID. They'll also continue to work together on a flu treatment. Coming up next, we'll hear Kevin Noonan discussing what might become the most significant patent fight of the pandemic era. But first, an announcement. The Fierce team is at it again profiling the most influential people in biopharma. So for the 2023 edition, we're asking for your input. There are a lot of new challenges in biopharma right now, but there are always new leaders and new ideas to help meet the moment. We're asking for your help to identify visionaries at both the scientific and business ends of our industry. Who in biopharma is leading the push for clinical diversity? Who is rewriting the drug launch playbook? Who has a promising new cancer treatment approach? Change has been a constant for the industry lately, so we need your help telling the story of where the industry is going and who's going to be steering the ship along the way. You have just one week left to submit your nominations. Go to FiercePharma.com or look for the link in our show notes. When Moderna and Pfizer saved the day with their COVID vaccines, the two companies shared the throne. Until August, that is. That's when Moderna filed a lawsuit against Pfizer and its COVID vaccine partner, BioNTech, claiming that the partners infringed on its vaccine patent by copying its mRNA technology. In the suit, Moderna seeks monetary damages from March of 2022 onwards. After stating many times that it wouldn't enforce COVID-related patents while the pandemic was ongoing, Moderna specified in March that the patents wouldn't be enforced in 92 low- and middle-income countries. Pfizer wasn't going to sit back and take that. In September, Pfizer struck back at Moderna in a scathing countersuit. In the countersuit, Pfizer dismissed the claims and accused Moderna of trying to rewrite the pandemic story. Pfizer's attorneys wrote that Moderna is trying to place itself in the single-starring role. Dr. Kevin Noonan is an intellectual property lawyer. He spoke with Fierce Pharma staff writer Zoe Becker to discuss the patent fight. Thank you for joining me today, Kevin. 
Moderna, after touting itself as the only vaccine manufacturer to have made a global commitment to intellectual property, never being a barrier to COVID-19 vaccine access. Is it surprising that Moderna would initiate a patent fight while the pandemic is still technically ongoing? And does that have any impact on the strength of their argument? Well, thanks very much, Zoe. I, I would say two things. The first is that this is a, an unusual lawsuit because typically what a company wants to do, especially a pharma company, is they want to have exclusivity. They want to be the only player in town uh, the only people get to do that use their technology because it's their technology as, as far as they understand, as far as they believe. Here, and what that's done by getting what's called an injunction. Basically have a court decide you win, but not only do you win, but the court says other party, losing party, you, you are enjoined. Power of the court is used to stop you from doing that. That's not what Moderna did, I think, quite intelligently because all they're saying is, look, this is not a small startup company on either side, this is not a small generic company. This, these are two, you know, industry titans at this point in this space. Moderna was more of a startup than certainly Pfizer is, but Pfizer's partner, BioNTech from Germany, is was similar to Moderna in the sense that they were a beginning biotechnology developed company. And so, but at this point, after all of the the money they made with the vaccine, they're both essentially two pharma titans in this space. And therefore, it really is not David and Goliath, it's Goliath and Goliath. And so I don't think that in terms of, of the public, optics is one thing, but the reality is that they've made a pledge not to have seat an injunction. So Pfizer gets to make its vaccine and there isn't any uh, threat that the amount of vaccine is going to go down, that they made a pledge that they're sticking to, that the 92 developing countries, non-Western Europe and uh, America, are not going to be impacted by this. And to be perfectly honest, surprisingly, given when they made the pledge, there are many com- countries, including these developing countries, that are refusing the vaccine. They don't want it. Um, I forget exactly which one it was. I think there was at least one African country. But there are countries that, that you know, it's shipped to them and they say, no, we don't want it. And there's a variety of reasons for that. But as much as uh, they could have easily been the bad guy had they done this in March of 2021, and maybe deservedly so. Now it's the it's there's a lot less emphasis, a lot less less need now. Even though the pandemic is ongoing, um, there's plenty of vaccine around. Vaccine's not the issue. Delivery may be the issue, but the amount of vaccine that's available is really not the issue. Right, that makes sense. But if Moderna had not initiated this dispute back in August, do you think that Pfizer eventually would have? And do you think that that would have given them more of an edge? Well, it's funny because there are basically three players here because we haven't talked about the other group, but there's Pfizer and Moderna, both of them, BioNTech, both of whom use the mRNA technology, uh, which is a way to specifically have the cells in the body make the spike protein, which is the antigenic protein and the one that you want to have an antibody against, naturally occurring antibody in your body, because it prevents the COVID spike from binding to the receptor on the cells that that's how it affects cells. So they both have um, sort of mRNA technology. There's also the packaging technology, which is another, there are another bunch of lawsuits out there and how they actually get it delivered. I think that, I'm not sure what Pfizer would have done, but there's an argument to be made that BioNTech's founders and its scientists have a patent, not specific for, for um, the COVID virus, but a, a more generic patent, broader patent, that talks about making a genetic change 
to one of the bases that's part of the mRNA sequence that makes the mRNA less immunogenic in the sense that you're going to have the body's not going to react against the foreign messenger RNA to the same extent. Anytime you put something that doesn't belong in your body, there's a chance that no matter how much you try to make it look like something that's in your body, then uh, in those circumstances, um, you can have the possibility that you won't get an immune reaction to spike protein that you want, but maybe to the messenger RNA itself, which could be a problem. There's a, there's a modification that BioNTech believes is theirs that Moderna is using. And so the question then would really be um, for the COVID vaccine or for other uh, messenger RNA vaccines, because at least Moderna uh, is looking into other diseases, not just infectious ones, uh, whether that would be a point of contention and, and a, an ability for Pfizer slash BioNTech to file suit against Moderna. Right. That's something I was going to ask about. Is it possible to tell from publicly available information which company, and by that I mean BioNTech or Moderna, started working with the patented, patented technologies that are in question first? Well, I think that the BioNTech and Moderna were the two biotech companies. Pfizer got into it, I think, only when the, the pandemic. I'm not sure how much Pfizer was in the space um, beforehand. Maybe some. Maybe they'd already been collaborating with BioNTech. but I think that they've all been working on messenger RNA vaccines for a while because uh, the traditional way to uh, make a vaccine is you rub the virus and you kill it somehow most of the time, um, and uh, either by heat or by chemicals, and then use the whole virus. This is maybe the, the COVID vaccine or COVID virus has this one, say, Achilles heel, the spike protein. That it's that is a, a, an easy target, just understanding how the virus works. And so I think that they were all working in the area to a certain extent. And in January of 2020, when I forget the name of the Chinese fellow who put the, uh, the COVID um, virus on the internet, because there's a there's a virology um, website where people put this sort of thing, um, and that's what got the sequence out. And there's a couple of great books out there that talk about. Uh, one called a shot to save the world, and there's, there's one by the Moderna. No, Moderna, I think the Moderna CEO, and at least one other. But there's there's it's quite a mystery story of how people saw that and immediately uh, knew what to do to make a messenger RNA based virus. Uh, now, whether it would work or not was was an open question. But in terms of the strategy and the philosophy and how to do it, I think people more than one person sort of jumped on that. Um, there was a certain amount of of pre-work because remember the MERS virus that came out of the Middle East, a Middle Eastern respiratory virus is in, is in the family, the SARS family. And also there was the earlier SARS outbreak in China um, 10 or so years ago. So these viruses have been knocking on the door for a while and people have been trying to work on um, making these sorts of spike protein-specific messenger RNA viruses. So it was a little bit of good luck that we had a sort of a run-up that made at least the, the strategy something that people were comfortable with. This is not either company's first patent suit over the pandemic. Moderna, in particular, has been sued by a few other companies for patents pertaining to those lipid nanoparticles. How does that impact this current lawsuit? In this case, because it's other patentees that are that are arguing that Moderna or Pfizer or both have infringed their patents on this packaging technology. 
then it, it doesn't come down to the patents that Moderna and Pfizer have won't, can't be invalidated by those lawsuits. Uh, that's not how it work. Uh, there's nothing to invalidate. They're, they're claiming infringement, and it's their patents that are at issue. But what could probably happen is, let's say one or the other party wins. Let's say Moderna wins and gets a royalty from, um, from Pfizer, and that's all worked out. Well, then, now we have these lipid formulation type folks. They go and they win. And so they'll have their own separate royalty stream that they'll get from Pfizer and or Moderna or both, right? And that probably won't be influenced entirely by what happens in this Pfizer-Moderna lawsuit because both parties will have, have made a bunch of money on these vaccines. And if the determination is that by doing so, they infringed either Arbutus or Anilum or Genovant, I think is the other uh, plaintiff, their IP, then the judge in that case will take the, the economic experts and figure out how much of a royalty they deserve. I don't see those plaintiffs um, getting an injunction either, because I think they're under the same sort of optics um, and, and, and uh, public relations uh, restraints that Moderna is and Pfizer would be. Um, I don't think anybody wants to be, to be the person who turns off the spigot and says, yeah, uh, we're the only game in town and, and we, you can't get competition. You can't get additional vaccine because we have an injunction. I don't, I don't see that happening by anybody for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is the importance of the pandemic. Right. And then does the NIH patent dispute, that's been brought up a lot in the filing so far. I mean, Pfizer is using um, Moderna's exclusion of NIH researchers on their patents because they collaborated um, to create the technology. The way the Supreme Court has, has determined this and decided this, the Constitution says that the federal government, if they choose, can grant patents to inventors, right? And so in the first instance, the person with the right to the patent is who invented it. The question then is, well, who was that? And the argument NIH is making is that some of their researchers should have been named as inventors on the Moderna patents. And um, there's at least one quote that says that, that inventorship is the murkiest concept in all the murky metaphysics of patent law. It's, I've done inventorship uh, determinations. It's very, it can be very difficult because there are, there are standards, but sometimes there's a gray area. Sometimes the question is, did this person contribute enough? Right? And it's clear if all the person who wants to be an inventor did with what somebody else told them to do, then that's not an inventor. But it's rarely that clear. So uh, here, there's a determination that, well, was the inventorship done properly? And that will also have to be determined. Now, if it turns out that the government, that the government should have been, um, their inventors should have been named as, as inventors, then, then the question would be, well, what is the consequence of that to the, the licensing? Would the government then be in a position because now they're named on the, they would be named on the, on the patent. Going forward, could they then decide they were going to, they probably wouldn't, but decide that they were going to let anybody use this patent without charging them the royalty? Probably that for a variety of reasons. But the thing about a patent is, as well is that if both of us invent something, I have a 100% right to do to license it to somebody, and so do you. And so I can't stop you from doing that or vice versa. Now, typically people negotiate 
and do this thing cooperatively. But the government would then have a right to uh, to do that. And and then what what is the government going to do? It it, it gets to be it's another layer of complexity that that uh, it's we could speculate probably for another twenty minutes, but probably not a good thing to do <laughs> right now. We don't know what's going to happen. So. Moderna, I mean, of course, they're asking for royalties and those would, of course, be large. But it's kind of also about more than money because it's, I mean, it's it's the first mRNA patent suit, correct? I think that the reason to do this now is because both companies are working on um, vaccines to other infectious agents. Well, I think Moderna's working on a flu vaccine. And I think that every, they're working on cancer vaccines. So the, the platform of messenger RNA is something that, um, because if the pandemic is considered to be over, at least not the way it was a year or even six months ago, this is the time where we've had our, our real world trial. We've seen what worked and seen what things cost. They now know what it costs to produce that, uh, these vaccines in bulk. They get an idea of what their return on investment would be. And so under the circumstances, they have a better economic picture of this. But going forward, now you're going to have other other vaccines, the other things, and how is how is that going to shake out in terms of who has the rights to them? And and in that case, you might have a company have an injunction because they get their 20 years from filing, and then and then it goes out to the general public. I have no idea if that's going to happen, but I know that given where we are and the timing, would have made a difference if it was March or April or May. It was it was March of 2022, and so it's mid to late 2022, I think they're just trying to um, cue this up to figure out who actually has the rights to do this, not just for COVID, but, but going forward for other things. What do you think will be, I mean, I know this would be speculative, but what do you think would be key in either company's arguments or justifications that would let them pull out a win? The great thing about um, litigation in the U.S., not just patent litigation, is we have this thing called discovery. And that means that that um, the, the lawyers on each side can not only request all the documents that a party has related to this, you can imagine it's probably quite a few, but they also can file papers called interrogatories where they can ask questions and things like requests to admit, miss that instead of the other. There are a bunch of, of, of tools that the lawyer has uh, that culminate in a deposition where they actually get people to swear things under oath. Where we can find out if there's a if there's and there isn't, but if there's an email that says let's do it Moderna's way because they seem to be be ahead of us, right? Um, things like that. So I think that to the extent that there is evidence of what happened that would indicate that one party or the other copied or one party or the other knew that they didn't have the rights to do this, but they were going to do it anyway. There's a lot of of fact specific information. That the parties are getting about each other there's an uh, there's an, uh, an aphorism that says that your your infringement suit is is at its strongest on the day you file the complaint because you know every the evidence that comes out tends to be a little less black and white than than you allege it does because in part you don't have all the information but the judge gets all the information or at least all the information that he's got and so it really will depend on these intangibles of what in fact is the history of how this happened. What did people do and what did they know and from whom did they get it um, that, that, uh, that gave them the breakthrough to enable them to do this on the time frame they did it? Remember, the last vaccine, major vaccine, against a major disease was mumps. 
in the 60s. And it took, I think, three years to get a vaccine once they had the virus isolated and everything else. This took, what, 10 months, right? To 18 yeah. months. I mean, it took an incredibly short amount of time to get the vaccine. And, and that's just because we know a lot more now than we did in 1966. Well, I'm certainly very excited to see how this shakes out. Um, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Noonan, and for sharing your expertise on this pandemic-era legal battle. Happy to do it. So, what do you think about reading the news? My dad really gets a kick out of the fact that I'm on all the podcasts. <laughs> That's awesome. Did he listen to them all? Yeah, he does. Does he follow this industry and this news? No. When I told my mom that I was doing a podcast, I said, I do, you know, I do a weekly news podcast. And she said... You do? And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, that's cool. That's it for The Top Line. I'm Teresa Carey. Our sound engineer is Caleb Hodson. You can find out more about these topics in our show notes at FiercePharma.com. Look for podcasts. And that's The Bottom Line from The Top Line.